add a bit of sunshine to your home with Easy Living Furniture's Garden Furniture Sale with stunning dining sets, cracking egg chairs and relaxing sun loungers that are in stock and ready for delivery there really is something for everyone and with an extra 10% off sale prices and free delivery over 399 now really is the time to let your garden shine Garden Sale now on Visit Easy Living Furniture Don't miss out Find your local store online at easylivingfurniture.ie This is an Irish independent podcast. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry. Hello and welcome to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. Folks, it is live from the National Ploughing Championships 2022 and this is going to be a Life Lessons episode with the fabulous Mairead McGuinness, EU Commissioner for Financial Services, Financial Stability and Capital Markets. Mairead, welcome. How are you? I'm very good. I'm delighted to sit down uh, because it's been busy. Um, I came here, I thought, very early, but they were all here before me. Um, I don't know about all of you watching, but honestly, the buzz from being back at the ploughing is something else. And we've awful stories to talk about and worries and concerns. But actually, when you're here and you get a 99, which I did get at the beginning for my breakfast, (laughs) and you just meet people, there's an incredible buzz and and positivity from people. And we have missed this, actually. I've been coming to the ploughing from before you were born. Uh, I remember 1981, Wellington Bridge. Anyone remember? Uh, There's always one. In fact, there's two. Um, And it was very mucky in Wellington Bridge. And I worked in a program called Landmark on RTE. And then I remember particularly 1993, because that was the year Landmark started on RTE. And I was pregnant with twins at that ploughing. And it was mucky. And I was terrified of what might happen on that day. But everything was well. So there's, there's always, with every ploughing, there's a story. And with every ploughing, I meet people. And I meet them every time afterwards. Some of them with very sad stories. So I think what you're doing is quite nice, talking about life rather than problems. Yeah, we're trying to empower people. We're trying to improve people's lives. And when we do a Life Lessons episode, it's chatting to people who have a very interesting life. I think your point's about ploughing, and you know we've seen an intent here over the course of the last couple of hours. There is an energy, there is a buzz, there is an excitement, because it's been three years since we've had a a ploughing event. And you can't beat in person, getting together, having the chats, interacting. Mm. That social connection component is really important yeah, for loads I think of reasons. What's great about the ploughing is it's a leveller. So everyone is here and we're all equal and we're all having the chats and people will stop me and they'll, they'll say good things or they'll be worried about other things or they'll give out. But it's, it's all good. There's not any, no, it's not hassle if you like. I had the privilege of having a coffee with uh, Anna Mae McHugh, who's an amazing woman. I mean, she has really lived a very full life and is such a leader. And what's incredible about her is that she gets uh, so many people motivated to volunteer. And everyone does it with a heart and a half. And even to see her joy this morning, because they've missed it. Of course. Um, uh, and she was she on was the ra- Radio so, 1 on the I way down, say, and she, she was full of beans. Full of beans. Oh, my Full goodness. of beans. And was in her pink outfit because um, Uktarana Heron was arriving. Um, so, no, it's all good. I mean, we'll chat about other things, but it, it's lovely to be and here. Talk, let's talk about agriculture and farming. They're a very big part of your life. Tell us, tell us more. 
Well, I'm from County Louth. Uh, we, um, there's eight of us in family. My parents, sadly, have passed away. Uh, we had a small but mixed farm. So at Christmas, we had turkeys. In the summer, we had fruit. We had cows eventually. Uh, and then it's evolved over time. So my brother farms, mainly poultry. Uh, I know um, I married a farmer in Meath. Um, I did a lot of research. I'm from I traveled far and wide. <laughs> and then I went back home. And we farm sheep and grain. So I kind of know the way farmers are feeling at the moment because I hear it firsthand. And I don't know, there's probably lots of farmers in the room here who might be feeling a little bit under pressure about a lot of the noise around climate change and fears of change. And what I've been trying to say to people here, the worst thing you can do is, is, is run away from what we might have to deal with, but we need to encourage farmers to own the change. And if you haven't been to the Chaga stand, there's a fantastic uh, demonstration of soil is really important. Soil quality is really important. Farmers know that. But they're showing different um, sowings. So what's good for soil? What's good for water quality? And, you know, behind all of the headlines on, you know, the pressure and we'll never make it. Actually, if we just implemented what we know today in terms of research, we will get there over time. But I don't know, you motivate people to change their lives. You'll never motivate anyone by telling them what to do or wagging the finger or telling them they're wrong. You have to encourage people to change and listen to their perspectives. And the one thing I have to say with this audience is I'm now uh, ar around the table with the commissioners from 26 plus myself, 27 member states, and I bring that message. So in case you, you think that your voices are not reflected in the work that I do, they are. And the reason I do that is because I'm from a farm and I kind of feel the way farmers are feeling at the moment. I think if you're from a farm, um, it's, it's very much part of you. So, I mean, when I get home from Brussels, I love to go just into a field and shout out loud. Or my favorite thing in the whole world, sweeping a yard in the rain. Oh, yeah. Anyone else that mad in the room? No, no, no. <laughs> I stand of a morning on the grass on my bare feet. Ah, yeah. And I find it, it, yeah. it grounds me, quite literally. So, so, so uh, yeah, what do you get out of that? Yeah, no, I can get that. Now, it's do you great. roll around in the wet grass? No. Just asking for a Actually, friend. Yeah, we, so we've we moved from Dublin to West Cork. We've got three acres in West Cork. Wow. So I'll be rolling around in that when we get in. We're not in yet, but we're, work, we're working on it. This is like being interviewed by someone. This is fascinating. <laughs> back, more importantly, back to you. Uh, you studied ag economics in ECD. Yeah, but you did. didn't. You went into journalism after that. Yeah, I always wanted to be a journalist. But I, I mean, lots of people think, oh, you must know somebody in journalism or politics. I knew not, neither. I was from, as I said, a farming family. But we were always encouraged to you know, do what you could. And my parents were very conscious of equality. They didn't talk about it, they just lived it. My mother was very, very keen that we would get an education, all eight of us, uh, and that we would do what we wanted. So from that kind of background, uh, my brother studied ag. I went to study science in first year and realized I didn't want just science, I wanted something else. The truth is I saw the ag science students having more fun and I thought I'd jump in there. And I did, I moved then to second year and studied ag economics. But I did want to get into journalism, so I wrote to RTE and they wrote back saying, when you've grown up, come back. Um, and I would all, I mean, young people who are listening maybe just, it's no harm to reach out. It's no harm to have a vision or a dream. You don't have to tell everyone because there are too many people who will say to you, you can't do that or that won't work out for you. So I always say to people, like, don't ever dismiss the craziest ideas in your head. Yeah, and you, um, have, to, you have to follow them up and do, chase them up, like that letter you that you sent to RTE. Yeah, and also it's, it's, I always think as well, life is very tough. Does anyone know The Lion King, the movie? You're all very shy. Does anyone know The Lion King, the movie? 
And you know that scene where it's the ugly lion? What's his name? Mufasa, is it? I don't know. Anywhere he puts his paw on the mouse's tail and says, life's not fair, is it? And in one sense, I think if you come to life with that perspective, then your expectations are perhaps different, but you'll, you'll achieve a bit more rather than thinking, gosh, poor me. You know, realize it's going to be difficult. So, I mean, when I started in broadcasting, it was contracts all the time, and I fought for contracts. I worked with really good people like Gay Byrne, but it was always a, a worry as to whether I'd have another contract. And then I left and joined the Farmer's Journal. That, that was my next and question. And then I went to the... After that, I went to the Irish Independent, and then I, at the same time, was working on Near to the Ground, and a few other things, local radio and whatever. And was the, did the media deliver what you wanted? Some people think media will deliver a certain pizzazz or a certain, uh, you know, was oh, it what think, you expected? What I think about being a journalist is you have such a privilege to tell people stories. And I think particularly on Ear to the Ground, which started in 1993, I, w I kept saying to the team, what we need to do is, it's not our question, it's their reaction. And one of the greatest skills, and Gay Byrne had it in spades, and those of you who remember big interviews that Gay did that changed the world, mm -hmm was when he was silent, he said the most. So he would... You're meant to talk because you're getting a bit nervous. No, I, it's okay. <laughs> it I, works. I, I do it at an interview every now and again. Yes, it, but being silent is one of the hardest things to do when you're interviewing someone or chatting, giving it space. It's very, it's, it, takes a, it takes a serious confidence to do it. You have to be able to read a face. So some fa if you're looking at somebody and they're uncomfortable, if they're uncomfortable because they're a bit shy, you can help. If they're uncomfortable because they don't want to answer the question, that's when Gay would nod and you draw it out. And I think one of the other things, I don't know, with being journalists, you learn to listen and you learn to condense. So one of the things that stood to me when I eventually ran for the European Parliament in 2004, if you got one minute to speak, I would start at the end and work towards the beginning. So I'd have my point and fill. Most people start at the beginning, and by the time they got to where they wanted to be, the microphone was cut. So I think I learned a few skills, I hope, when I was in journalism. And I loved working in the Irish Indo. I made loads of pals. Um, and the farming Indo is flying, and dear to the ground is flying in the farmer's journals. So I didn't do any harm, I hope, along that journey. And then where did politics come from? Russia blood to the head. I think on ear to the ground, and I suppose... Like I was 45 when I ran for politics, so I wasn't young, um, but I was very mature. I wasn't that young, but I got to a stage in journalism. I could still be doing it, but I was kind of realizing that that wasn't enough. Now, I don't know what I was looking for because I had four youngest children. Um, and it all happened. I mean, I think things in life happen sometimes. And if you're, if you're open enough to see where it might go and prepared to take a risk. And that's what I did. Um, so that was 2004. And I will be really, really honest, running for politics is very different than being on the telly when you're a journalist. Uh, it's a very tough place to be um, because you, you're judged differently. So that was a big transition. Um, and I did worry at the beginning had I done the right thing, but I realized then I had jumped with no parachute, so I probably wouldn't go back to journalism. So it was all that uncertainty. Uh, and I just say that because I think it's important people realize nothing is easy. And sometimes the best things that you achieve are done with the toughest background and challenges and great people. I was really blessed that the people I met at every stage, they were kind of looking out for me. And in politics, so my colleagues, uh, the constituency organizations, the members of Fine Gael, they rallied around me. 
And I remember I used to go around sort of gently kind of shaking hands and this very, very much older memory came up to me and said, well, to a friend who was with me, said, will you tell that wee girl to ask for the number one? And of course, I hadn't done that, you see. And sh- this, they were right, yeah, yeah. you know. So I did uh, ask for the number one. I was lucky. I mean, it, it, it worked out well. But we, we had a great team and a great spirit. And I think there's nothing more, I suppose, um, motivating than looking at an opinion poll that tells you you're nearly there, but you're not there. So there was one of those, and we jumped that one. Right. There's another Marae who was part <laughs> of it. Uh, and we, we, pushed out, uh, we pushed out the boat really hard, and so we won two seats out of three. So I won a seat, and Avril Doyle, my running mate, won a seat. And Lee Mailward, um, who I keep contact with, he won a seat uh, for Fianna Falls. So, I mean, I've had good times. I'm tough. Elections are tough. Folks, you're listening to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. It is one of our live episodes from Ploughing 2022. We're very happy to be back, and we're learning lots. So you're a risk taker. I'm cautious, but I'm a risk taker. (laughs) Does that make sense? I think a lot of people have that in them. Um, No, I would be quite cautious, but I I think a lot. Okay, so you're a qualified risk taker. You look at the risk, and then you try and qualify. I don't know if I'm qualified to be a risk taker, but I, I tend to... I spend a lot of time in fields or thinking. So, so I think that I learned that from journalism and then trying to assimilate information. I suppose I must be a bit of a risk taker. And I am, I suppose, again, very lucky that my husband is prepared to allow me to take those risks. And my four children have supported me. I think my, my poor father passed away in 2003 before I ran for election. And he would have loved it. It was tough. My mother found it very difficult because people would say good and bad things. I think at the end, she kind of came around to us, um, and she used to canvas in the hairdressers, so that was that was Very big. important. Very big, yeah, yeah. How do you handle that then? I ask anyone who's got a profile job in terms of there's, good, there's the, the, the easy, and, or the, you know, the, the good and the bad, we all get that. How do you deal with Well, it's changed enormously, even since 2004, because now everything is instant and reactive, and peop- everyone has an opinion, and everyone is entitled to their opinion. What I think we shouldn't do is allow other people's opinion to change your mood. So if I have a tough interview or if there's something, a policy that people disagree with, and everybody has their disagreements, I don't go to social media to tell me how you did or what, because I think you can poison your brain with negativity. And I've learned a skill of not reading it. And if you don't read it, you don't know it, you're not upset. (laughs) You sit down, you have a cup of tea, and you get on with it. If you read it, and if you're tired and a bit worried, it will destroy you. And I, I'm afraid I've seen people who have allowed social media to really impinge on them and destroy them. So, I mean, there are little techniques. You probably have other techniques, but I well, think we all need them. You, know, well, you, you need you, an invisible barrier. You've mentioned already that, that that support network is really important, that no matter what goal you're working towards or what you're striving towards, or if you are taking a risk, it's that group, direct group around you will yeah. to enable you to hit those goals is really important. It is, but, but politics is quite a solitary uh, occupation. I mean, I'm in a different role in the commission. Um, it's policy rather than politics. Um, so it's interesting difference. But when you're the person who's looking for votes, so when you're the commission, you are there. I mean, I have a fantastic team of people that work with me. But ultimately, if things go right or they go wrong, I'm responsible. And that's quite a big, um, I mean, my, one of my titles is financial stability. That's a big task in these challenging times. Uh, but I'm not on my own, and I, I do draw on the expertise of others. What do you love about your job? This. 
<laughs> I love the ploughing, honest to God. If they told me I couldn't go to the ploughing, <laughs> I think I'd quit. Um, and I was determined not just to spend a few hours or a day. I'm doing two days. I can't do three, but I'm going to do two. You, if you listen here today to a lot of, you learn an awful lot. You, you get a real, you take the pulse of, uh, of people. And you make lovely, I mean, school children. There was a young fellow who was 10. It was his birthday today. I had to get him in 99. And <laughs> I was thrilled and he was thrilled and his father was thrilled. And they're the little things that make it worthwhile. I mean, I mentioned that I have met people here over the years, some really sad stories. And it's kind of nice sometimes when they come back and things are a bit better or whatever. It's just, and they do reconnect. Um, and they used to come into me when I was in the farming Indo stand. You know, life is full of ups and downs for people. And I probably, because I've been in journalism and, and in politics and now in this role, I can almost read it in faces. I, when I go into schools, I can always see the little child that's a bit quiet or vulnerable. And if you bring them up gently and say, look, I, I, I have a technique where I'd say, would you mind helping me with the questions? Because I'm terrified. And if you do it kind of in a very open way, you kind of get it. They come up and they will help you. And it helps them. And were that's you, great. Were you always ambitious? By the sounds but you were. I mean, I suppose I was very driven. If you knew my mother and my father, you would be very driven. My mother had a saying, and I say this in the huge respect to her, I miss her terribly. We'll sit down when we get all the little jobs done. We stood all our lives doing the little jobs. But I mean, she had eight children. Eight children. Um, we, she had five in a row. I was the fifth. Um, the house burnt down after I was born. No coincidence, just accidental. And they had three more afterwards. But it's interesting, they were able to educate and feed a family of eight on a farm at that time. I mean, it is different now. I mean, two incomes are required. So one of the things that I really appreciate is that we take food for granted. And I think maybe now with this energy crisis and lack of fertilizer and all of these ch you know, challenges, we might begin to look at the things that we actually don't see. Like we walk into supermarkets and just pick up as if never thinking who's behind this, either the person who processed it or the person who produced it or got up in the morning to milk the cows. You know, it might be no harm that we reassess our relationship with familiarity. And I, I, I think that the, hap the war, this illegal invasion of Ukraine has really changed everything for the worst. But maybe we would use the worst of it to appreciate what we have. And that was a big thing in our house, appreciate what you have. Um, don't waste, and I think waste not, want not, is actually about recycling and circular economy. We just call it different things. And you don't have to go too much forward. If you draw on the past, I think, and implement a lot of those things, it's not rocket science. It's just valuing what you have, appreciating that it won't always be there unless you nurture it, and handing that message on. Uh, but I don't know if that's ambition. I, I actually think it's a terrible thing if you have an opportunity to waste it. And, I mean, this role is busy. I mean, when I got elected in 2004, our youngest was three. Um, but I, because Tom was farming, he was at home. Um, so you either say, oh, this is too much, or it's overwhelming, or you say, this is, I am really blessed, I have an opportunity, don't waste it. So I, I, every job I've done from when I was doing it, working on a farm during my practical year to when I was picking strawberries as a child. I said it to another person. I used to keep a little notebook about all the strawberries I picked. I didn't get the money yet, but anyway, <laughs> at some point. So no, you don't and, waste and, opportunity. And is that something you would say to the group and the audience that we've had here for the last 20 minutes or so, which is go for it. If you get the opportunity, don't leave it behind. Take that risk. 
take the chance. Yeah, I think with, with also a caveat, don't have a sense that it's, I should get this or I'm entitled to this. I think you have to go for it on the basis that you're prepared to come second and that that's okay, you know, uh, that you don't always have to win. And I haven't always managed to do what I wanted to do. There are times that it didn't work out, but I never allowed it to impinge on my head or make me feel less because of it, you know? So I don't know. And is that a message that, uh, on a societal level? Because you've mentioned it a couple of times, and you've referenced back to it a couple of times about, you know, having to graft and work for something. That That's something that we need to remind the different generations coming up, maybe, that expect things a little bit too easy. I, I, I actually think the younger generation... I have a lot of young colleagues in the cabinet, uh, some from other European countries, others uh, Irish. And I have to say, I have worked with the most incredibly brilliant young people, Irish and others. So sally Ann is here with me. Paul, who's not so young, is here with me as well. But, I mean, they're, they're actually brilliant. Uh, you can just wave over there at them. Um, and I think it's fantastic when somebody comes into your office as an intern and you see their potential and they, they go for it. They're, young people work very hard. Uh, and I think sometimes, and I'm probably the old crowd now, we don't appreciate that they, they have a lot of anxieties as well. You know, I have four children myself. I, I kind of listen to, to what's going on for them. And they work very hard. Maria, it's been fabulous to chat to you and to oh. pick your brains about life and all the things, different things that you've done. Yeah. Folks, that is it for another episode of Real Health Thank with me, Carl much. Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. We do hope you enjoyed today's episode live from Ploughing 2022. We've had a lovely crowd all across the day for Tuesday in the National Ploughing Championships in the Irish Independent Tent. As ever, if you're listening on your headphones, you know where we are, at Carl Henry PT on Instagram, realhealth at independent.ie. And a very big thank you to everyone in the Independent Tent from the Irish Independent, Gav, Tabitha, Mary, and all the team in the tent for helping to put everything on. Folks who are in the tent, have a wonderful day. We'll see you very soon. Marie McGuinness, thank you very much. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry.